So our main text today will be the first 15 verses of Acts chapter 5. But I feel felt like in order to give us context for what we're about to read, that it would be beneficial to start with Acts chapter 4, verse 34. So we're just going to read by way of intro Acts chapter 4, 34 to 37. And this will hopefully give us some context for the message that we're going to preach. I actually uh, did a lot of study on this because it, it's kind of a confusing passage in some ways. I mean, it's, it's straightforward in what happens, but it's confusing slightly as to why it happens. Because we don't see God acting in this manner um, very often. He will punish us because he's a good God who chastens those he loves. But it is very rare that death is a direct punishment from God, at least as recorded in the scriptures. And so when you come to a... a story like Ananias and Sapphira, there's a lot of conjecture as to why God chose to act in this way. But the thing that we know more than anything else is that God is sovereign and he can act however he wishes. And whichever way he wishes to act is the right way because he's God. In Acts 4.34 we read, Neither was there among them any that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold, sold them and brought the prices of these things that were sold. And, the, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, or a more modern interpretation, the son of encouragement. Um, a Levite of the of the and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and bought, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is the intro. This is what Ananias and Sapphira are seeing. Now, there's a variety of different uh, opinions as to what um, was going through Ananias and Sapphira's mind. And I don't want to get too far ahead of us, so we will just look at the first section here. Um, but uh, my, the name of my message, the title of my message, if you're keeping notes, is Motives Matter. And for my intro, the disciples were generous with one another. What did Jesus say before he left us? He said, you'll know, they'll know you are my disciples, what? By the fact that you go to church every Sunday? By the fact that you put money in the offering plate? No. He said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. That is what determines a disciple of Christ to the world more than anything else. 
I mean, because a lot of times we, we like to think maybe it's our love for the, the lost, our love for the world. And yes, that is important. But the way that they know chiefly that we are the disciples of Christ is our love for one another. And incidentally, it's that love for one another that can be very appealing to someone to bring them into the fold. To bring them into the family of God is to realize the love that we have for one another. And that's the type of church that God, through the disciples, was beginning here. So, Ananias and Sapphira agree to deceive. The first two verses, let's look at this. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and bought a certain, brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, oh, sorry, I don't want to get too far ahead. Let's look at these first two verses first. First, I want to mention a couple of things. The name Ananias means the Lord is gracious. And Sapphira is Aramaic for beautiful. Well, in this passage, they are not really living up to their names because they've agreed to deceive. And they agreed to keep back part of it, but they were basically going to say, we've given it all. Now, why do you think that is? Well, we just read in the end of Acts chapter 4 that Barnabas laid the, all the proceeds of the, selling his land at the disciples' feet. No doubt the disciples were excited about this. They probably thanked him profusely. Perhaps there was a public display of that. And Ananias and Sapphira saw that and I think being human wanted to have similar affirmation. So they decided, well, if we sell this land and then we keep back part of what um, the land is going to get us, but then we tell them that we gave all, then we will get accolades as if we gave all. And uh, God tells us that we need to have unity in marriage. We are to unify in marriage for the purpose of encouraging one another. But just as there can be positive encouragement, there can be negative encouragement. I think it's very important that we, that we are careful whom we marry. Especially for the women in the audience, I say this because the man is charged with being your leader. That is not something that the world likes. It's not even something that the church really likes right now. If you were to take a poll in most um, churches that are considered to be conservative, many of them would bristle at what I'm saying right now. But God said it. And I believe it. And that settles it for me. So we need to be careful about who we choose to align ourselves with. But they decided, together, we are going to do this. So, 
Um, let us look quickly by way of cross-reference to Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Because it speaks to the motive with which we are to do things. If somebody gets there, if they could stand and read it for us, that would be amazing. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man on the things of others. Incidentally, that is what we're seeing in the final part of Acts chapter 4. They're looking on the needs and interests of others. Their goal is to help others. And um, I was watching a video about this portion, and the guy mentioned that um, there is a passage in Deuteronomy 15... Why don't we just turn there real quick, and then I'll get back to our text. Deuteronomy 15, there's just a few verses that I want to read here, which indicate that this type of attitude was something that God wanted for His people from the very beginning. And I thought it was an interesting tie-in, and I think it's worth considering that what was happening in Acts chapter 4 was a fulfillment in many ways of what Jesus of what God says here in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter fifteen, um, God is addressing uh, dealing with the poor among you, and He says in verse seven, "If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren." Within any of thy gates in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thy heart, nor shut thy hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thy hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware that there not be a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year of the Lord of releases that hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not. And he cry unto the Lord against you, and it be a sin unto thee. So basically God is saying, and he says to us over and over again, if your brother has need, meet it. I have experienced that in spades here at Holland Gospel Chapel, and I'm very thankful for all of you for being used as God's vehicle to meet many of my needs. I'm very thankful for that. And I, I think it's so important that we realize that this is the main goal of the church. Not the new gymnasium, not the new worship center, not the 5,000 seat auditorium, although those can be nice in certain aspects. But the goal of the church is to provide for the needy. I really think that the benevolence fund, or whatever you want to call it, should be the biggest part of a church budget. And if it's not, I believe we're missing the point. And then we get into, so they've agreed to deceive, and then Ananias lies to God. Keep in mind that Ananias doesn't need to say anything to Peter. 
We don't read anything that Ananias says to Peter when he brings the money in. But we do read Peter's response. Let's look at Acts chapter 5, verses 3 to 6. But Peter said to Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back a part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? What hast thou, why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto man, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came upon all them that heard these things. Now there's a couple different um, things that people surmise about this passage. One is that Ananias was convicted by God to sell his land and give every penny to the disciples. And he ignored that conviction and did it on his terms and gave only a part. That is very well, that could very well be. But I have been thinking about this, and the more I think about it, the more I realize that it might simply be a case of Ananias and Sapphira wanting to try to do what God called somebody else to do, but to do it on their own terms. Bear with me as I explain. Barnabas sold some land and gave all the proceeds to the disciples. As I've already said, the disciples were probably overjoyed at this. They were grateful. They said, thank you, Barnabas. And everything about Barnabas is about encouragement. This is a man... Uh, or, yeah, this is a man who would later bring Paul into the church. When no one else would believe him, Barnabas did. And he said, you need to let Paul into the church. He's the real deal. So he already had a reputation for encouragement. And I have seen many times, and see, I had frustrations in my own life, when I wished I could do what somebody else was doing for God. I think it's really interesting what Peter says here. He said, well, it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? I believe that Ananias and Sapphira could have said, we're going to sell this land and we're going to give 70% of the proceeds to the church. And God would have been fine with that. The problem was not how much they gave. The problem was the lie. The lie was, I gave you everything when in fact I kept it back. Honesty is so important. The proverb says a good name is rather to be chosen than great silver. When we try to do that which someone else has been called to do, we can find ourselves in great amounts of frustration because God does not call everyone to do the same thing. And to me, that's the biggest point that I get from here. Because Peter is reminding Ananias and Sapphira, everything about this money was your choice. 
but you still lied to God. Another thing I want to address is some people, I've heard it said anyway, that some people question whether Ananias and Sapphira were actual members of the church. Whether they were going to find themselves in heaven despite the way they got there. It is my belief, and I'm open to discussion about this, but it is my belief that they were believers, that we will see them in heaven, because I don't think that a that an unbeliever has the capability of lying to the Holy Spirit. Because I don't think you can lie to someone you don't know. You can believe a lie without the power of the Holy Spirit, but I don't think you can lie to someone you don't know. And John talked about how God would prune and would throw away into the thr- in, on the threshing floor the things that were unproductive. And I think God said, Ananias and Sapphira are not doing the church any favors by being around, so I'm going to take them. But I do believe we will see them in the future because I believe that lying to the Holy Spirit is only capable is only possible if you know the Holy Spirit. And then Ananias heard these words and fell down and gave up the ghost. I'm pretty sure that Ananias was thinking, well, Peter will never know. I'll never say anything to him. He'll never know. But Peter strikes right at me. And he doesn't say, why did you lie to me? I'm your bud. I'm your friend. Why did you lie to me? No, he said, you've lied to God. Another lesson that this teaches is that if anybody who was in the church had any doubts about whether the Holy Spirit is God, Peter answers it here. You've not lied unto me, but you've lied unto God. The Holy Spirit is indeed God, a co-equal part of the Godhead. Let's look at 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8. If someone gets there, if they can stand and read it, I would appreciate it. Sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I just have this quick quote and then a story to share with you. Augustine said, "One never errs more safely than when one than when than when one errs by too much loving the truth." I've heard it said. More simply, even, that if you always tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. Because we know what the truth is, but if we lie, a lot of times it creates the need for another lie. And another lie, and another lie. Lies don't usually come one at a time. And so, um... So, I just like that. And then this story about President Lincoln. It says, President Lincoln was not only known as his honest Abe, 
He was also known as one who loved the truth. One day, he was visited by a gentleman who was in the habit of making promises without keeping them. He coaxed one of the Lincoln boys to sit on his lap by promising to give him the charm he wore on his watch chain. The child climbed into his lap. Finally, the gentleman arose to go when Mr. Lincoln said to him, Are you going to keep your promise to my boy? What promise, said the visitor? You said you would give him that charm. Oh, I could not, said the visitor. It is not only valuable, but I prize it as an heirloom. Give it to him, said Lincoln sternly. I would not want him to know that I entertained one who had no regard for his word. The gentleman colored, undid the charm, and handed it to the boy, and went away with a lesson which he was not likely to soon forget. Abraham Lincoln was known as Honest Abe and wanted his kids to see the value of honesty. He once walked several miles because someone had left too much change at the store which he was managing. There's another story where he borrowed a book from someone and he kept it in the slats of his cabin and it got all soaked and wet and he went and repaid the price of the book because he knew that he had wrecked it. Honesty is so very important. Okay, our third section. Sapphira follows his lead. Keep in mind what I said earlier about Ananias and Sapphira being a couple. And how Ananias had a responsibility to lead his family. And he was leading his family all right, but he was leading her to the grave. But even so, she bears personal responsibility, as we will see. It says, just to backtrack a little bit, and Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all of them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and burnt, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours, after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her and said, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. So he he didn't didn't challenge Ananias with the question. He just allowed the answer to stand and said, you lied to God. But he challenges Sapphira. He says, is this really the amount that you sold the land for? See, it's not about that the church was owed the money. It's about, again, the deception. So... She says, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. And she, then she fell down straight away at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. God was saying, I am God and there is no other. God was saying, I will be honored. I will not be mocked. 
We read that in Galatians chapter 6. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And that's a great warning to all of us. That the things that we sow, we will reap. You can't sow orange seeds and get apples. You can't sow grapevines and get figs. You can only get that which you sow. And so, we have a situation where we have seen Ananias leading poorly. And how he has led his wife into peril. Now surely she has personal responsibility. But he was not leading well. I wanted to cut this passage short, but I just couldn't. So if we could read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Very familiar words, but nonetheless important here as we are studying uh, this passage. So in this passage, which is much maligned again by the world and by the church that does not want to embrace the, the full truth of Scripture, we see some very direct things about the role of a man and his wife. And if we read it in context, we see that we're talking about functioning together as a church, and then functioning together within the family, the man and the wife, and if you continue to read on, the children and the parents. Things like, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then, fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's all in that elongated passage. And a lot of times people bristle when they, when they say, uh, wife, submit to your own husband as unto the Lord. But if you read that long passage that we just read, there's like two or three verses that deal with the wife's responsibility to the husband. And the rest of that passage, the other eight verses, 
or about how a wife is to treat, how, how a husband is to treat his wife, how he's to protect her, how he's to be her spiritual leader, how he's to lay his life down for her. Meaning, if you have to give your life to make sure she's protected, you do it. And that was not the attitude that Ananias had on this day. Instead, they both died because he failed to leave. Please don't sacrifice your family by failing to lead. Yes, the culture may bristle, but it is our job not to follow the culture, but to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing that was said of the early church was that they turned the world upside down because they did everything countercultural. You know, it's kind of sad how the world bristles whenever Christians try to help because they don't want to be indoctrinated by our religion. And yet, if you look at the history of almost every charitable institution in the whole United States, you'll find a Christian basis for it. Why? Because God said to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. He said that true religion and undefiled is this, to visit the orphans and the widows and to remain unspotted from the world. These are the things that he called us to. And it's just so sad that the world doesn't understand that the very reason we do these things is because of love. Saw an interesting Facebook post just this morning. It said, when God says don't, and it may be hard to refuse to do something, remember that God means don't hurt yourself. That's ultimately what he's saying. I don't want you to hurt yourself. I want you to thrive. All right. Um, in, a Sunday, uh, in a Sunday school class, the lesson was about lying. The young girl put this proposition to her teacher. My mother is old-fashioned and thinks it's wrong to dance. So when I went... When I want to go to a dance, I tell her that I'm going to stay with a girlfriend. Is it wrong to tell that kind of lie? The teacher replied, No, if your mother is such a back number as that, it is all right to lie to her. Another child in the class reported the incident to his parents, was removed from the Sunday school, and sent to a sound one. Your Sunday school teacher should never tell you to lie to your parents. Your parents have been given to you by God as protection. All right. One final point that I have here is the church grows. Now, you wouldn't think so. You would think that everybody would be scared away from being part of the church. But the opposite happens. Verses 11 to 15 read, And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were of all of one accord in Solomon's porch, and the rest, and of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And the believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and of women, 
insomuch that they brought forth the sick on the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Now, I find this a very uh, interesting verse and perhaps I will do more study of it and kind of overlap next time and talk a little bit more about that. I always find it interesting that God has some interesting ways to do things that seem paradoxical. Like, for instance, he says, don't have any idols. But then he tells Moses, raise up a serpent on a rod and tell the people that if they look on it, they'll live. He says no idols, and yet he has them create the Ark of the Covenant and carry it with them. And when they have it with them and when they are following him, they are blessed. When it comes out of their possession, they are not blessed anymore. So I find it interesting that there are paradoxes like that in Scripture. And again, I, I want to investigate that a little bit more, but I do remember what Jesus said when people complimented him on the miracles. He said, Greater miracles than you see me do, will you do. And that's kind of especially interesting coming from the perfect Son of God that he would say that. If we could look at Acts 17, 5 to 7. Acts 17, 5 to 7. It's interesting that they use that argument, there's another king, when remember what Jesus said? They said, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus said, bring me a coin. And he said, whose superscription is this? And Jesus himself, the one that they say people are worship, are, are following rather than Caesar, said this, render unto God the things that are God's. And unto Caesar, the things that are Caesar's. No one respected Caesar in the proper way more than Jesus himself. And yet Jesus knew that he was the king over all. Pilate said, I have power to release you or power to cause your death. And Jesus said, you have no power except it was given to you from above. So it's important for us to realize the reason I wanted to bring up that passage is why did they capture Jason? Why did they bring him in? Why did they do things like we're going to read about later where they fasted supposedly until Paul got captured? I don't know how long that actually lasted because Paul was ministering for a while yet. 
But they did this because the disciples turned the world upside upside down, as we just read. Because they didn't do it of their own power. They did it through the power of God. One final story. Every member of the family was puzzled over the mystery of a fern that would not grow. Solving seemingly, solving seemingly, the plant refused to put out new stems. That there might be no injury from transplanting it, it had been taken up carefully and sheltered until it should have been well-rooted. Everything in the way of plant food had been provided, but there it stood, no longer, no larger than when it was brought to the house. An awkward, ugly thing in a mockingly large flower pot. Then arrived a guest who was a horticulturalist. He forced a wire down into the earth about the fern's roots and diagnosed the trouble at once. The plant had been set in stiff clay and this had become packed hard. Reset in loose soil, the fern grew luxuriously. Even the flower of God's own planting cannot find root in a heart choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Perhaps that is why Paul said, most gladly therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Yes, if you're in that clay and nothing is going wrong, you may be doing okay. But if you're anything like me, my biggest growth comes from times when my life is upset. My biggest growth comes from times when I say, God, I can't do it. You have to do it. Every day when I wake up in the morning and wait for my brother to get me out of bed, I'm reminded of my weakness and the strength that I find in Jesus. Some people say, well, God doesn't want you to suffer but Paul said I, I want to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings Paul talked over and over again about how suffering while it's not a pleasant thing it is a good thing because it brings us closer to who Jesus is my friends I started out this meeting by telling you about my brother Dwayne who went to be with the Lord I don't know how long he was sick or if he had any warning, but I do know this. He knew where he was going. He knew who he believed. And because of that, he's rejoicing in heaven today. But you and I, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not even guaranteed our next breath. The only thing we're guaranteed is the breath that we're drawing in our lungs right now. So my prayer for you is that you would come to know the God of the Bible. The God who created the world and created you and made you for a work that he has for you to do. We are all sinners. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that we are all sinners. That we are wicked men. That we are deceitful. But we have hope because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And does God call us to sell all our possessions and give our money to the poor? No. But he does call us to give everything to him. 
see, when I look at my finances, I don't just look at Andrew Donaldson's checkbook. I look at the money that God has given me, and I say, God, what do you want me to do with it? And because of that, I'm able to make good choices, because I'm a steward of the resources which he has given me. My prayer is that you would find the same peace and the same wisdom. If you need wisdom, God says, if anyone lack wisdom, let him ask of me. Because I don't abrade, and I will give it to you liberally if you ask. But ask in faith, nothing wavering. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray and thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your mercies which are new to us every morning. Lord, I, I pray for my brother Dwayne. Lord, I just pray that he's enjoying your presence. I pray for his family, Lord, and I ask again for your peace and your graciousness to them. I ask that you would be with them in the days ahead. That you'd help Heather to be a mother to her children. That you, O oh Lord, would be a father to the fatherless. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.